All right, everybody, it's good to see you. Uh, welcome back, or if special welcome to you if this is your first time here. Um, what we're going to do is just um, invite the Lord into our time together, and uh, we'll, we'll start there and uh, take it from there. Father, thank you for... Thank you for this day that you have made. Uh, may our hearts rejoice and be glad in it. And I pray that you would just draw draw us in our thinking is maybe everywhere else. Um, that help us to focus in on Christ. Prepare our hearts for your words spoken. And thank you for your astounding patience when we see you we won't be able or want to look at anything else help us start now it's for your wonderful name we pray looking forward expecting to be known by your grace and it's in your wonderful name we pray amen She is jealous for me, loves like her.
Well, we are nine months into 2020, and probably a lot of you are saying, I'll be happy when we can just say good riddance to you. Uh, but maybe others are saying it's been a mixed bag, and others, perhaps somebody out there is saying, well, you know what, uh, it hasn't been too bad for me. But I know a lot of people, it's just been a struggle. And I think that as we go through this struggle, uh, we know that we're not going through it alone, don't we? Because our Lord Jesus is with us, and he is always there for guidance, for strength, for encouragement, for all the things that we need in a season like this. Uh, some people maybe think, I'd just as soon be medicated. And I heard a story about... Um, uh, a new advertisement for NyQuil, uh, only they've uh, reformulated their brand and said that uh, actually it is called Yearquil. You just go to sleep and 2020 goes away. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen or not in, in reality. I mean, it would be nice to consider that. But whatever the, the struggle it is that we're going through in life, whatever the, uh, the challenges are that are happening in your world, uh, it is our faith that helps us to remain stable and anchored, and it is the Word of God that gives us, I think, that place where we can find our bearings. And so as we go into uh, that Word and we hear that voice from our Lord, I'd like to ask you guys if you would just bow with me and let's, let's pray. Father, as we just take the substance of this day before you and each of us individually, our hearts open and laid bare before your holy presence, we are grateful for that great grace and that wonderful love that enables us, Father, to connect with you and with each other in a spirit of humility knowing that everything that we need is settled in your Son. And Lord, as we think about the remaining six days or the seven days that have gone uh, past already, and we realize that there's so much that we have to face in any given day, uh, that uh, we need you more than ever. Father, as I just think about a few things that are happening right now, I do want to lift up our police officers, uh, especially JT and those that are responsible for uh, being uh, servants to our community in a way that keeps order. And yet there are so many signals to that part of our community and communities around the country uh, that are so overwhelmingly negative. And I just pray, Father, that you would encourage them and help them to know that they are supported and that they are in our prayers. And, Father, we pray as well for teachers that are going to be returning this week or have already returned, uh, that you would give them your strength for the responsibilities that they have in an environment of changing expectations and uncertainty and frustration. And we just thank you, Father, that as... Uh, uh, we can um, hopefully lift them up that you're at work in our schools. Uh, be with our kids, our administrators, and everyone that's a part of those environments that they, under these uncertain times, could accomplish what they have been called to do. I pray, Father, that you just help us as a church to be aware of where it is that you want your voice to be heard, your influence through your kingdom to be felt, 
And I pray, Father, for those that are online right now as they gather in their homes that you would bless uh, their time in, 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 in meeting with us in spirit. I pray, Father, that you would just watch over all of our people, especially those who have uh, recently been hospitalized, those who have lost loved ones, and uh, those right now who are just struggling with their own sense of well-being. And I just pray, Father, as we lift these things up to you and as we seek to receive from you, uh, that you would speak to us and, and through uh, the word that we share today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when God brought his son into the world, he wanted to signal to everyone exactly from a very hands-on, down-to-earth, literally ground-level uh, response of what the face of God would look like in any circumstance, uh, whether it be a, a season of blessing or a season of struggle. And when we turn to the words of Jesus found in the Gospels, we find responses to things that, uh, that, that, that Jesus uh, sees in play and ways that we ourselves can look at those responses and find uh, maybe a deeper connection with him. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes whenever you see uh, signals given and, and messages uh, uh, thrown out there, uh, perhaps you don't recognize them. Uh, a while back, I, I remember I was driving down the road, and I didn't see the signal that said 45. And as I was driving, uh, I did see the police officer on the side of the road. And then following uh, the missing of that signal and the passing of that police officer, uh, he stopped me to remind me that I had missed the signal. And then in order to just sort of uh, drive the point home, he decided that he was going to um, issue me a fine. And in the process, the hope was that I would get it. And it's a pretty shocking thing. I haven't had a ticket in a very long time. And maybe if you saw me show up in the police report, um, uh, embarrassingly so, uh, even more so, you know, I have a muscle car, which you make, make out of that whatever you want, but it was a 61 and a 45. So I wasn't really going that fast. I thought I was in a 55. But you know what? Sometimes you're just not in that place that you think you are, do you? And that's kind of the moment that we're in, isn't it? We're sort of in, not in that place that we think we are. And it's sometimes because we miss the signal. And as Jesus is trying to help us get the signals that God is offering to anyone that would hear, uh, he tells those signals oftentimes in something called parables. And the parables are a very powerful way of using stories to describe by analogy the things that are happening in your life and mine, especially when it comes to the things of God. And the very first parable, actually, uh, that a lot of scholars believe that Jesus spoke was the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's look at Mark chapter 4. 
And let's just explore this for a minute because I think God may be signaling some things to you and I that may be helpful in this season that we're going through so that we can draw heavily from his word and from his presence in our lives. Now, if you were with us last week, the first uh, part of this message that um, is coming from this parable, uh, we shared in verses 1 through 9, but I'm going to go ahead and read it for your benefit. And Jesus is obviously speaking to a large crowd who is wanting to know what God has to say at ground level. And they're starting to really hang on to every word. Uh, But the problem was he was looking at the crowd and he's recognizing that they weren't quite getting it. Now, he doesn't offer a ticket, but what he does offer is something that I think that is provocative, which we're going to find out about. And here's what he says. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching, he said to them, Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and he's sowing. He's broadcasting the seed in all the places that uh, he hopes the seed will take root and in places that sometimes it won't. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And then... When, when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear... Let them hear. I just want to stop for just a second before I read this a little bit farther and note two things. I believe I mentioned them last week. He opens up by saying this word, listen. And then he concludes this part of the teaching by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him or her hear. And, and, And that's the signal part of it, right? And maybe we're saying, yeah, I'm with you so far, I get it. But the question is, do we really get it? And when he was alone, those around him, around with him, the 12 had asked him about the parable because they weren't sure what to do with this. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And the sower uh, so the, then he goes on to explain. But I just want to stop for a second and show you a picture so that you guys are with me on, on what, this, what this looks like from Jesus' point of view. Uh, there's a picture of a field in, in the West Bank, and it describes, I think, everything that we need to understand uh, visually for this parable. And if you look at it, you'll notice that there are different tracks that are owned by different farmers And if you look real closely at the soil, you will find that there are a number of rocks that that just keep coming up. And they have to constantly be 
grabbed up and thrown along the boundary marker. And all those uh, lines that you see up there are actually just a way of saying, yeah, these are all the rocks that we found as we farmed over the years. And then growing up amongst the rocks typically are thorns and uh, the type of weeds that are of no value and actually take all the nutrients away. And accompanying that is a path that typically runs along the border of the property, right along those stones that you see. And that path is that hard ground where the sower will go and he will just throw out and broadcast all of the seed into the soil so that as it takes root in the field, it germinates, but a lot of it gets spilled on the path and some of it gets spilled even in the rocky soil and amongst the thorns. Okay, so are you with me so far? Because Jesus is taking a well-recognized situation and he's saying, this I want to apply to your lives because I'm signaling some things to you from the Lord that you really need to hear. And I want to draw that out for, for, for each of us as, um, as we come to the Word and we try to not miss the signals. And Jesus doesn't want to be punitive, but in some ways, he kind of is following that tradition. So let's just move on a little bit into the text as you guys wrap your minds around that. And he said to them, do you not understand? And of course, in verse 14, it says, the sower sows the Word, and these are the ones along the path. Where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have, to have no root, however, in themselves, but endure for a little while. And then, when trouble comes or persecution arises... On account of the word, immediately they're like, yeah, I'm interested in you, Jesus, but not that interested. And then as Jesus anticipates all of these different kinds of people who are in the crowd, he goes on to tell them, and others are the ones sown among the thorns, and they are those who hear the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now, so far, hopefully, you're grasping that Jesus is signaling a couple of things to us, and that is uh, he wants the, the word that he is speaking to take root in your life and mine, and he wants uh, our hearts to be understood like soil, and he wants us to go through the process of preparing them so that we can receive that seed in a way that will begin to bear fruit, all right? Now, this is all just kind of additional setup from last week, and as Jesus is explaining this, he wants us to take it a step further, and he wants to see the effect of that seed as it germinates and as it takes on uh, that fruit-bearing status to begin to influence the lives of the people that are basically in proximity to the people that are hearing it, meaning that he wants the word to spread. And he wants that to happen through their lives and through your life and for mine. And as we do this together, we realize that there is a need here to get the signal 
right. Now, I was driving through um, a small community near my house the other day, and I was talking to somebody on the phone, and it was a pastoral call, and they were getting right to the point where they were telling me exactly what it was that they were wrestling with, and then guess what? My signal just died. And so I drive for about 30 seconds, and I'm catching a little bit here and a little bit there and just a little bit there, and uh, by the time I get to the other side of this little community, uh, and then they said, what do you think about that? And my thought was, I hate to ask you this, but could you just repeat everything you just said in the last 30 seconds because I missed your signal? And in this case, it wasn't because I wasn't trying to pay attention. It was simply that there wasn't a good connection that was in place for me to hear what was being said. And I've had that happen to me a couple of times, and I'm sometimes I can piece it together because it's just like I'll miss a word here or I'll miss maybe a sentence there, but I, I can kind of gather from context what is being said. But my fear is one of these days I'm going to say something in response and they're going to be like, Pastor, I, I think you're just losing your mind because we're not talking about the same thing. Well, Jesus is making sure that the people that are getting serious about following him are getting a clear connection in their understanding, and he's creating the conditions by which that signal will get through. And what are those conditions? Well, mentioned in this parable is a quote from Isaiah chapter 6, where it says, um, go and you'll be uh, ever hearing, but, but never understanding, ever, ever seeing, but never really grasping that. Otherwise, you would turn and be healed. And Jesus said, what I've just revealed to you is something that I've told you in secret. And if you look in, in, in the verses that follow, um, verses 10 and uh, 11 and 12, you see where he says, I'm telling people these things in parables so that um, as uh, the signal is being given, <clears throat> they can responsibly receive it. Now, if I have a, an iPhone and I am connected to AT&T and I want to sell that phone to somebody used uh, and hopefully replace it with another one, but that person tells me my service is only with Verizon, would it be moral or ethical for me to say, that's okay, I'm sure you'll figure out how to make it work? Or would it be necessary to have the, the, the recipient be on the same page, be on the same um, uh, pr program uh, with the phone company? Jesus is kind of saying that we have to be compatible here, otherwise this thing is not going to work. It's not going to flow into the spaces that it needs to to flow into because I'm calling you into something that is going to take actually a greater degree of commitment than you even realize, and it's going to probably demand more from you than you've ever imagined, and you need to get it right, right out of the gate. So in the prophetic tradition, he quotes Isaiah 6, and Isaiah is getting ready to go and tell everybody all the stuff that God's laid on his heart. It's a 
awesome scene before the throne of God and the cherubim, and he has a, a hot coal placed on his lips so that they would be clean. And you get this sense of anticipation. And Isaiah is told that he's going to go out, but not everybody's going to get the signal. Not everybody's going to hear it. Not everybody's going to be in a, under the right conditions to hear it. And the same happened to Jeremiah. In Jeremiah's chapter 5 and 6, uh, uh, basically, um, Jeremiah was told these words, and I'll, and I'll say them real quickly. Um, Jeremiah, um, flip it over here. Jeremiah 5, 20 and 21, announce this to the descendants of Jacob and proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, you foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. And he mentions that again in chapter 6, and then in Ezekiel, when they're already in, in exile in Babylon, he mentions it. And then Jesus picks it up as well. And you're asking, why is this important, Leonard? And maybe, Jesus, why is this so important? Because what Jesus is doing is he's helping us to realize something. That if we don't get it right out of the gate, we're not going to be in that right place down the road. And as you're reading through uh, these verses from the Old Testament, and as you try to grasp their significance, you find that actually, in reading the New Testament, this verse is quoted more than any other quote from the Old Testament. And even when Jesus is speaking to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Churches that he's trying to encourage, but he's also trying to tell them, step up your game. He says these words. Um, <clears throat> Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And basically, what he's saying is the same theme from Isaiah to Jeremiah to Ezekiel to Jesus to what we read in Revelation is, don't be rebellious. Get your heart in a good place where you can receive God's word. And when Jesus is saying, listen, or he's saying, he who has ears to hear, let them hear, the Greek word is actually akuo, where we get acoustics. And what it means is to, 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 to hear, to understand, to, in a sense, assimilate that into who you are. But Jesus wasn't speaking in Greek. He was speaking in Aramaic, which I'm sure you could probably care less. But if you do care, I want you to understand that Aramaic is kind of like North American people talking to a British person. Two different dialects and expressions, but pretty much everything's written the same way. Aramaic was like Hebrew. So when Jesus is talking, he's actually talking like somebody from the Old Testament. And when he says, hear, that's the word Shema. Can you guys say Shema just to make sure you're, everybody's awake? Shema. So if you've never said a Hebrew word in your life, you have now. And Shema is the word for hear. It's actually the only prayer, it's one of two prayers that, that, that most uh, Jewish people have throughout time have got up and read uh, 
this prayer or, or chanted it from Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 11, and Numbers 15. Hear, O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one God. And that's the, that's the beginning of what's called the Shema. Now, again, why am I going into all of this? Other than to say that Shema, meaning hear, is what I would say to my kid if I wanted them to obey something. Not just hear it, but there is no word for obey in Hebrew. It's just Shema. If your parents say Shema, you know you're not only supposed to get that information, you're supposed to take that information and make something happen. I had a Shema moment the other day when I was looking on our table at home and I saw there was a note that was written and it just said, attention. And it wasn't in my handwriting, it was in my wife's handwriting. And I think it's just another way of saying, here. And then she went on to say that if you're eating at the table, make sure that you put away what you got out. Make sure that you clean the table off after you're done. And so I asked one child after I saw it, hey, did you see this note from your mom? And the one child said, no, I, I didn't see that note. I better take a look. And they did, and they're like, hmm, yeah, I probably ought to step up my game a little bit. I asked another child, I'm, I'm trying to not use names here. I asked another child, did you read the note? And this person who has sort of a legal mind said, I read the note, but it does not apply to me. I thought this could get real interesting. And so I just kind of left it at that. And then the last kid, I said, did you read the note that said, attention? And they said, I didn't even know there was a note. And I showed it to them, and they read it, and they're like, hmm, yeah. I could probably work on that. So there are kind of three different responses. One was sort of enthusiastic. One was sort of like, yeah, it doesn't really apply to me. Let's move on. And the other one was, hmm, I suppose. And I think that's what Jesus is seeing in the lives of the people is that when he says here, they're saying, well, varying degrees of responses. Now, I'm still waiting for this to play out because when my wife says attention, it's sort of like hear and obey. And that's what Jesus essentially is saying when he says, listen and hear, hear. He's saying this. When you listen, it isn't just an academic exercise. It is about taking what I'm saying and obeying it. Because the goal of the parable is to actually make disciples of the people that are following. And a disciple is a representative of the person that they are, they are, they are basically sitting at the feet of and saying, I want my life to embody the values that you're teaching. And that would be you and I. But the question really remains, are we embodying those same characteristics in our lives that we, we see embodied in him. And Jesus says, if you do, there will be fruit. And when Jesus told them the secret 
You ever had anybody tell you a secret? Hey, I just heard this. You're the first to know. Don't tell anybody, but I got to share something with you. And you know that it's really a secret if you don't find the next couple of days that it's kind of out there everywhere. With Jesus, there is a word that is used to describe this secret, and it's the Greek word musterion, which basically means the things of God are being revealed at a particular time, and it wasn't like God is saying, but some can hear it, and some, well, they're not included in our group, but rather, I want everybody to hear it, I want everybody to be included in our group, but the only way that it's ever going to work is if they get the signal right. Now, I'm going to tell on another kid who also got a speeding ticket, so I can just throw other people under the bus besides myself, and then the kid got, a, got pulled over again, same place, but was let off the hook. <laughs> grace or something and maybe they were they were seeing him fly by and said hmm let's look this one up oh yeah we got him a while back same spot could just be they're saying you know he's not not a bad kid but he needs he needs to wake up a little bit here we're just going to signal a warning to him now jesus signaled a lot of warnings to people over the course of the telling of the parables but this one in particular stands out because it is only one of three parables that are repeated in all three Gospels. And when it's repeated, it is the first of all the parables whenever he goes to describe them. <laughs> He's basically saying, if you get this parable, you're going to get it. But you're not going to get it unless you hear. And you're not really hearing unless you understand the secret. And the secret is... You have to trust and obey. Trust and obey. Trust and obedience. Because we could be Christians and hear sermons and read books and read the Bible all day long, but if the stuff that we're reading isn't flowing out of, out of, our, out of our lives, we're not, really, we're not really getting it. Now, Jesus goes on to describe four soil conditions which I haven't even gone into that. But what I want to go into is the condition of your heart and the fact that those other soils that are not being fruitful are what's getting in the way. Now, yesterday I worked on my son's property a little bit and helped clean it up. I did not realize Ohio had that many boulders and stones and rocks you guys have that on your property? You ever run into that? Has that been a, been a problem? And it's like I dig up five and like whack-a-mole, five more crop up. It's frustrating. But what Jesus is basically saying is um, this is going to be an ongoing matter between yourself and the Lord. See, Jesus has to sort of continually be working on us and 
getting the soil right so that we can receive the word. And I'll have to be honest with you, the conditions that we are under right now, I think, are distracting. And one of the things that the soil has to war against are the distractions that tend to uh, keep the seed from being planted. The distraction maybe of just the devil taking it away, the distraction of the rock coming up out of the ground and it not allowing the seed to germinate, the distraction of the thorns choking things out, which is probably our biggest concern. And that's where it gets painful. Because God has to come into our lives, let stuff come to the surface, and then basically we have to deal with the pain, don't we, whenever that happens? Because it's getting in the way. And we love the Lord, and there's no question that as the Lord has blessed our lives so richly, we also know that the Lord loves us more than we can ever imagine but he loves us too much to keep us in that place where our lives are not doing what they need to do. And how do I know if God's calling me out on something? As I look at the tradition, I find that in the background of the lives of the people that were hearing the word and not getting the signal, usually it meant something was getting in the way. And maybe in 2020, as we have time to think and ruminate and meditate, maybe we've realized, yeah, this is getting in the way, or this is something I haven't been able to uh, attend to spiritually. Maybe I've just kicked this down the road and not really thought that it would really matter. And then God is using these moments of in-between time to say, I'm going to reveal something to you that we need to sort out. And you'll thank me later. I thought about labeling the sermon, the truth will set you free, but first, it will make you mad. And the reason it will make you mad is because sometimes it points out things that we'd rather not have pointed out. What are some of those things? I think there are probably four questions that we could ask to know whether or not something gets in the way. And the first question is, what do I spend the most part of my time doing? And if God is incorporated into that question on a pretty consistent basis, then maybe, maybe it's a good indicator that you're, you're in a good space. But if God is only for this venue and for this moment around your computer screen and the rest of the week he's not really a thought, God may be saying, We've got some work to do, and he may be working on you, and perhaps some of the symptoms that you have of fear or worry or anxiety and things like that, maybe God is saying, I, I don't want to keep you in this space, but I want to keep you in that space long enough to show you that your priorities are a little bit misplaced. Now, in the Old Testament, that would be called idolatry, where you're spending all of your time and energy and attention on something other than God. And God's jealous in that way, and rightly so, because he does love us, like we just sang. But the second question is, what do I spend all my money on? And our money is just a resource that we know at the end of the day is provided by God through his economy, and it is God's way of testing us to see how we manage it. 
And the closer we move towards generosity when it comes to receiving from his generosity to begin with, the closer we are in a good place with it. But the more we use money to service our own idolatry, well, that could be a, a stone. That could be a, a clump of thorns. It could be anything that God says we have to work on. The other thing that we have to ask is, um, how am I investing time in relationships with other people? Because we know the greatest commandment is, do you love God, obviously, with all your heart? Do you love your neighbors yourself? Do we help other people? Do we serve other people in the name of the Lord? Do we work in a way that God is reflected in our lives? Do we have those moments where we are asking the Lord, help me in this relationship? Help me with this friend to work through this matter. And if your time relationally is incorporating God in it, then maybe you're in a good place. But maybe God is saying you are using people or you're being, you know, ungodly towards people and, and doing things perhaps that are relationally toxic. God may be saying we're going to call that out. Well, I, for the sake of time, I'm just going to leave it at those, those three and just explore for a second what that may mean. Now, in my own life, I have to ask myself every day, not only in my role as a pastor, but as my, my, my role as a father and a husband, how much is the Lord Jesus a part of all of those experiences every day? When it comes to possessions, how much is the Lord Jesus a part of these things and how much of it is getting in the way? And I don't know about you, but I've discovered that um, minimalism and downscaling actually has its own rewards. We are told to buy, 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 and the more you have, the more you have to manage, and pretty soon you become a slave to those things. But that really is why Jesus tells us anything that gets in the way is not only a lesser thing in other parables he goes on to say they will actually begin to own you and that's his biggest fear jesus is exploring in the world that he's in the hearts and the minds of the people that are in front of him and beside him and he's exploring your heart and mine, and he is asking each of us the question, do you trust me? And if you do, will you obey me? And I'll just end the message this way. What do you think that looks like? You think if you're trusting God and obeying him that you should become a missionary and go to Africa? Do you think that you should, um, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Because that's, that's what I thought at first, too, and ended up going over there. But I, it was a calling. I'm being, being facetious. Um, but whenever God says, 
trust me, he's not telling you that you have to do something dramatic, become a pastor or some person that is uh, preeminent in in a church setting or whatever. He's just basically saying this. Under the conditions that you are currently living and with the people that are currently part of your world, are you being obedient with the message that I give you for the day, for the relationship, for the moment? Are you asking him in the course of anything, Lord, please shed some light on why I'm struggling with my child, why I'm struggling with my work. How it, Lord, please help me to be salt and light in a place where I know it's very toxic. Lord, help me to get my finances under control so that I'm learning to be a good steward. Lord, help me to see my work not only as a calling or a vocation, but as a way of bringing you glory. And these are just ways that God says, you're trusting me and you're being obedient. And that's each of us in whatever our circumstances are, my friends. He wants to come alive in your life and mine. But he's telling us that will never happen if the rocks and the thorns and the hardness of heart are getting in the way. You will be an extremely frustrated Christian. And that's why he calls us out. Because he wants to set us free And we know it'll make us mad, but in the end, we'll be like, I'm really glad that happened. I'm really grateful, Lord, that you brought me to my senses. And if you're trusting and obeying, God's going to do a little bit of that along with a little bit of encouraging along the way, just like the churches in Revelation One of the biggest struggles I think that we have is in this moment how disorienting COVID is and how it is that we make sense of what's going on and how we make sense of what the Lord is telling us. So I'm going to end this message series by pivoting into another message series that has to do with how we are dealing with the moment that we're living in. And I want to surface some things from that message series uh, so that we can take a look at what is happening in the world and happening to us and ask the question, how can I trust and obey under these conditions? And how are these conditions affecting my walk with you? So would you you bow with me? And then I'd like to take us to, to, to another place. Father, we are looking at this parable, hopefully through fresh eyes. And we're hearing this parable, hopefully, through fresh ears. Lord, we need to hear from you more desperately, perhaps, than we ever have. And we realize that we have to get into that space where we are calling out those things that get in the way. And you are calling them out in our lives in ways that perhaps we've ignored those signals. Lord, we just want to trust and obey in a way 
that honors you with our lives, sifts through the wheat from the chaff, that enables us, Father, to be able to receive those things that are said in secret, not because you're wanting to exclude anyone, but rather you're wanting to include everyone into something that has to be properly understood. So I pray, Father, that we walk out of here not only perhaps called out, but also encouraged because we're facing a very difficult moment as a church, as a community, as a country, and we need your help. And other people need us to be the church for them. And we need to be in that good space, Father, so help us as we do that. I pray that you just bless us as we get ready to receive that wonderful meal that you provided for us. And we pray that we could do it in a, in a posture of humility, that we could receive these things in a way that when they speak to things in our lives, we own them, we repent of them, we find forgiveness. So help us to hear what we need to hear. And then as we share it, help us to remember that we are sharing it with you and with one another. And those are two things, Lord, that we need desperately in this moment in order to survive. And so bless the loaf and the cup and the word and the song lyrics and the music as it plays in our head this week that it would help to sustain us. And by your spirit and by your word and by your holy name, we can be your church. So bless the loaf and the cup as we take it together. Would you find in your um, proximity if you have them the communion cups that we have on the back table and if you haven't received one and you want to just feel free to go it's not a distraction and grab one and as you do I think you guys are getting good I'm, I'm getting more gooder at this for sure um, my wife doesn't let me wear white because I spill food all over myself she rarely lets me go out to eat with her because I'm not very careful. But this meal here, we have to take it with careful consideration and appreciation. So let's eat of the loaf and drink of the cup together. And proclaim his name until he comes again.
Thank you, Father, for such a wonderful message that we have heard today. You put our ears in a right position of hearing when you put our heart in a right position of believing. And I pray thanking you for the salvation that you have brought to your people and pray that you would bring salvation, that we would all be in unity in sharing the position being yours in Christ. Thank you for the wonderful work that you are doing. Jesus, you said in John 6, 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one and only Son whom he has sent, period. for your wonderful name we thank you Jesus that you are perfectly satisfying to both God and man you are our Messiah our Savior thank you what else can we say it's for your wonderful name we thank you and give you praise and all glory amen in our last song here um, this is a new song and um and we like things that are familiar. We grab onto those things, and we understand that. So what's familiar about a new song is that this is the Jesus that of the Bible, the gospel of Scripture. Uh, and so he is what's familiar. I was in Bulgaria, and I was sitting at a table, and there was a guy there on our last day, and he said, um, uh, he asked me how I was enjoying Bulgaria. And I said, you know, it was, it was and I I was talking to him, and uh, it's like, you know, the out of the gate at the airport, and the bright sun hit me, and just the noise of the city, it was, and no sleep for, I, I, no, I don't know how many time zones I went through, but no sleep. Um, I was pretty much culture shocked from that moment going forward, and uh, I said I kind of had to leave my comfort zone at home and he stopped and he almost like slammed his fist on the table and he said no Jesus is your comfort zone no matter where you go I was like oh got me and he totally did and uh, so as we move into unfamiliar territory it's not as if he's not leading us as you sing an unfamiliar song it's the same gospel that saved you it's the same savior of that gospel Christ alone. So would you uh, would you stand and just be satisfied in hearing Christ is all sufficient. If that wasn't true, he would not have said, my grace is sufficient for you. of 
Doubt blow through me And my sails have all been torn In the suffering, in the sorrow When my sinking hopes are few I will hold fast to the anchor It will never be the shore and steady anchor while the tempest rages on when temptation clings the battle and it seems the night has won deeper still than goes the anchor though I justly stand accused I will hold license at all in that phrase you are the anchor for our souls the author of our salvation your grace unstutteringly is sufficient praise your holy and perfect name Lord Jesus that is the only appropriate response we come before you with broken hearts, needing helped, 
hearts of stone needing replaced with hearts of flesh. Help us to have hearts that believe in you, minds that are being renewed by you, ears that are hearing you, eyes that are seeking you, and hands that are responding by loving your people and reaching those who we want, who, whom you want. Praise your holy name, and it's for that wonderful and perfect name we pray. Amen. All right, we love you. We'll see you soon, all right?